listening to the Weekend Sports Buzz. Tell us your thoughts on the Oxmoor Fort Lincoln Buzz Line at 384-1450. Good morning, sports fans. Mike Andoppel here with David Harrington, and we are out at the Masonic Home in the beautiful, beautiful Kentucky morning. A little chilly out here, though. Just a little bit. Yeah, you know, we're, uh, we're all bundled up here, getting ready for the, uh, the Kiddo Classic, the ninth annual Kiddo Classic to support boys and girls Haven. It is a volleyball and corn toss tournament. We have about 150 people out here playing a little volleyball, doing a little cornhole, uh, raising money for a good cause. You can't beat it, man. You can't beat it. Let's say, uh, crisp afternoon here. No, definitely. So make sure you come on out, watch some uh, fun volleyball. And uh, actually, uh, the volleyball starts here about 10 a.m. Uh, and then at 11 a.m., the St. Matthew Street Festival is going on right outside where the volleyball tournament is. So you can you, know, you got great food also, beer and all that kind of stuff at the St. Matthew Street Festival. Come over to the volleyball tournament. Yeah, it, it, it could be a really a good afternoon. It's going to be a really beautiful day. It's a little chilly to start, but it's going to be pretty today. It's going to be sunny. I mean, it's a nice fall day. You can't beat this. <laughs> nice fall day. It does nice feel, fall day. It does feel like we're like out at Commonwealth Stadium for the pre-game, for the tailgate show in, uh, in October or something like that. But, uh, uh, of course, you know, six weeks ago, we would have taken this weather. We would probably be out here with short, shorts and T-shirts. I prefer shorts and T-shirts. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, we're out here again. Uh, the Masonic Home. Come on out. Support this great cause. The Kiddo Classic. 19 year Kiddo Classic. Uh, boy, supporting boys and girls haven. Uh, somewhat of a... Not a, a huge week of sports around here right now. We're kind of dying off a little bit. But there's some there's some big national stories that have been in the news the last couple of weeks. Especially dealing with social issues in sports. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, you got Donald Sterling refusing to, to give it up. After all the owners, well, not all the owners came and voted, but some of the most influential NBA owners kind of voted and decided, yeah, you know, Donald, you have to force you to sell your team to the NBA bylaws and things of that nature. And it kind of looked like that Donald just kind of may go quietly into the night. It did for a while, but no. And it looked like he wasn't going to respond, and all of a sudden he does a disastrous Anderson Cooper interview. Well, before that, you know, he answered my tape another phone conversation. That was totally staged, right? Yes, it was. Yeah. But it's hilarious. He had somebody tape a phone conversation. And then, like, I think that's the Anderson Cooper interview was just, was just horrible. But you know what? I, I must say, and then because all the stuff that came out against Magic Johnson and, uh, you know, saying, like, what has he done and what has he done for African-American people? And just, it was bizarre. You know, I, I must say, the more I, I listen to Donald Sterling, the more he reminds me of Abraham Simpson. <laughs> <laughs> he reminds me so much of Abraham Simpson. But, you know, I, I'm actually kind of having have an appreciation of Donald Sterling. He's one of those old guys that sits on this porch all day and just yells, get off my lawn. He's got to be me on shooting the kids. He's got to be me on shooting the kids. Get off my lawn. You go try to do something <laughs> to him. The police like me. He's like 81. You know, we can't live West Grand Paul over there for, for doing something. He's just old. Just let him be old. Old and cranky. Old and cranky with his hot, uh, you know, uh, 20-something-year-old girlfriend. <laughs> And his wife, he's going to be the president of the United States one day. That's right. And his wife next to him, so you can't beat that. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know what to take about the whole thing. You know, again, like, I, I'm still kind of going back and forth of, you know, did, did this open up this huge Pandora's box about, you know. And someone else brought this point up this week, too. It's like if you're, if you're starting to get concerned about what's being said in your home and then, and then report it back out on something you said in your own home, we're almost turning into, like, Eastern Germany in the – 
in the 1940s when people were informing on you and what you say and all that other stuff and like the whole idea of uh, it's, you can't even joke anymore. You can't, I mean, not that, I don't think Donald Trump was joking, but no, he was dead serious. Yeah, he was serious. But you can't joke anymore. You know, it's, you can't, like, even, like, what we do on the radio, it's not like we could come and come with the same kind of jokes that they would do 30 years ago, you know, because, you know, we'd be classified as anything but funny. Because we race this homophobic. You're always going to get off the air. Yeah, you're always going to, like, offend somebody. So, yeah. like, there, there's there's a whole other element to this. Now, don't get me wrong. What Donald Sterling did was wrong, and I don't agree with it, but he was in his own home, and yes, it did become public, just like, you know, I know Adam Silver stated at his press conference, so they did have to deal with it. But, and then you got the whole aspect, too. It's like, what happens when an NBA guy, which, I, you know, this is going to happen. And if one of the players is going to pop off with a homophobic remark or... An insensitive remark is something else, and he'll be suspended. But he's not going to be told he can't participate anymore for his life. No, no, and that's true. You know, and you know, you tell me this whole situation, and honestly, I'm kind of with you. I'm not so sure that he should lose the Clippers or be forced to sell the Clippers. Um, you know, I, I know the the players' association met, and and a couple of players were like, "Hey, look, you know, if you don't do something about Donald Trump, if he's not out, we're not playing next year." And LeBron was one of those guys. You know, LeBron was one of those guys like, man, look, I'm, I'm not going to play. If you don't remove Sterling, we're not playing. Yeah, and then we can also get into the whole, and that brings up some other points, you know, how much power do these guys have? And, and a lot of that goes back to another situation in L.A. Now the Lakers are looking for a, a head coach, and Kobe making it very clear that he wants to be consulted. And then the Lakers coming out and saying, you know what, you're not going to be consulted. And he shouldn't be consulted. He's a player. He is a player. Yeah, I mean, but, but the NBA works differently. The NBA is a player's league. Like the NFL... Player-driven. Yeah, the NFL is the complete opposite. NFL's owner, coach-driven, where the NBA has is, always is been a player's league. You know, if you're a star player, whether it's LeBron James or whoever it is, and if they decide that they don't like the coach, they'll complain to the ownership enough and be like, hey, I don't like the coach. We need somebody else here. You know, eight eight times out of ten, the you know the owner will replace the head coach with somebody else, and that's and then we're seeing that trend now, where we're seeing these guys basically getting head coaching jobs right out of playing. You know, Jason Kidd this year, mm-hmm. now it looks like Derek Fisher could be the next head coach of the Knicks, and he's he's playing like right now in the playoffs, yes, for Oklahoma City, and now next year we're finding out that he might be the head coach of the Knicks. And you got guys like, you know, uh, which doesn't make any sense to me. You got a guy like, now, the reason why Derek Fisher gets, does make sense is because it's Phil Jackson's guy, right? You know, that system, you know, it's, he's basically going to be a Phil Jackson puppet, but this way Phil Jackson has to travel and do all that stuff. But if I'm, I'm an, I am a Knicks fan, not if I'm a Knicks fan. And you got a guy like Mark Jackson, who's like a New York City streetball legend, a proven winner. St. John's played for the Knicks. And what was doing the biggest thing is he's a proven winner. Yes. Why he was fired, I don't know, because he was actually winning. And this guy is sitting out there. I don't know how the Knicks don't even consider that. But it doesn't even look like they're even thinking about going to the Mark Jackson out. Well, you know, with Darius Fisher, you know, well, with Darius Fisher, like you said, you know what you did. He played in the system forever. Uh, he knows exactly what the coaches want. And they're going to put Bill Cartwright with him, it looks like, as an assistant. So it's going to be like little Phil Jackson disciples. That's exactly what it is. That's that's a Phil Jackson coaching truth. Like Bill Belichick, the NFL, he's surrounded by all his boys. Bill Belichick's guys don't become good at coaches. 
But they're great assistant coaches. They're great assistant coaches. They're great assistant coaches, but yeah, head coaches not so much. Head coaches not so much. And so you, you got all this stuff going in the NBA. We still got the NBA playoffs going on. It's, we're down to the Final Four. It starts tomorrow. Uh, I was a little disappointed in the Trailblazers' performance in San Antonio, but we're going to have a great series with Oklahoma City and San Antonio. And the old men from the second street wide find a way to win like every year. It's just amazing. And I, and I know, not, you know, I'm, I think they can win this one too because, you know, I, if I have to go, the matchup you're going to look at is, to me in this Oklahoma City uh, San Antonio matchup is Russell Westbrook and Tony Parker. And I think Russell Westbrook's a more talented player than Tony Parker. But I'll tell you right now, I'll take Tony Parker in the playoffs every time. Well, to me, he's not as disciplined as Tony Parker. Uh, so he's not the leader that Tony Parker is. He doesn't play basketball like Tony Parker plays basketball. Tony, and that's why I call these guys the old men from the second street wide. Because they're old men you do that. Yeah, and that's what they do. The old men you do that. They know every move. It's, it's, it's like fighting Bernard Hopkins. You know, the man is like 50 years old. He knows everything that's going to happen before it happens. You just have to hope age catches up with him in the end, and your youth and speed can be his knowledge and wisdom. The other side, we got the Pacers uh, kind of pulling together, and they're taking on the Heat. This is another situation where you know I think the Pacers are starting to play pretty well. They they got off to a disastrous start. I know they they didn't finish the regular season well. The the playoffs just didn't start off well for them, but they've kind of recovered, and now they're starting to play some pretty good basketball. You know, the Heat have LeBron. But I'm not sure that they've got the best playing basketball. I mean, you can't just come to Wayne Wade. Yes, yeah, but what's Wayne Wade and where he is age-wise? I'm taking Paul George. I'm taking George Hill. I'm taking Lance Stevenson above Wayne Wade right now. Wow, really? And, and they probably got the advantage in the post with whatever. They, now that's, the one thing they do have advantage is, is in the post. And they keep like size. They're not the tallest right. of NBA teams. But when you talk, when you talk about you're going to be able to take a guy like uh, you know you, you're going to take you're going to be able to throw Paul George you're going to be able to throw uh, Dwayne not David West at at a guy like LeBron and, you know they can, I think they can neutralize him a little bit I'm not going to be shocked if the Pacers win this series I won't be shocked but I just don't see it. I'm picking the Heat though yeah I'm, I'm taking Heat as well because I just don't see Roy Hibbert I mean to me Roy Hibbert's the key because they have a great mismatch on the inside with Roy Hibbert if Roy Hibbert plays. But if this is the Big East Roy Hibbert, who's kind of soft and got pushed around by DeLon Griff and Pitt for like three or four years, then they will lose. But, I mean, that's going to be the Birdman, I guess, pushing around, right? So we'll have to see. Uh, man, the lack of NBA centers is just it's terrible. It's, it's not, when, we, we, when Roy Hibbert is like the man down below, if he wants to, he can be the man down below. That's a sad state for centers in, in, in right. NBA. Yes. So and then, of course, the other big social issue in sports that we're uh, – kind of going on this, the whole Michael Sam thing, you know, gets drafted. First of all, do you think him coming out affected his draft status? I think he kind of went where he was going to go. I mean, yes, he was the SEC defensive player of the year, but he was also still had serious draft question marks. Yeah, he had horrible draft question marks. He was even predicted, even after he won the SEC player of the year, before he came out, they were thinking, you know, late, uh, a late-round draft pick. Right, a third day. He was a third-day guy no matter what. Yeah, no matter what, he would have been a third-day third day guy on seventh-round. Um, maybe look well. Actually, Mike Mayock predicted him to go in the seventh round, so he went exactly where Mike Mayock uh, predicted him to go. And I, and I can see why he ran a horrible combine. He's slow. Yep. And it, and a guy that's probably played uh, in the three-four set. He's going to play defensive end, an outside linebacker in the three-four set. You know, as a defensive end, you have to be able to play that that fourth linebacker sometimes and cover tight end coming out or cover, or cover the running back out the flat. 
And if you don't have speed, that's, that's not going to happen. No. And then, so then the four-letter network, of course, has a camera crew at his apartment. And something that I feel like was just completely staged. But a kiss? Yeah. I, I, I honestly feel like they had that crew there. And they're like, hey, this is what we need to have happen. We need to kiss on a lot of television. Right. Because, and the, the first kiss, I guess, wasn't like as egregious as the whole cake-shoving thing that they did afterwards with the kiss. And that's that's just, that's where to me it became over the top. Like I don't even want to see heterosexual people do that. So, you know, to me it's 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 it was like just there to get ratings. And I think the thing that's kind of disappointing is when he came out, uh, which is awesome that he came out. He came out that he wants to be known as Michael Sam the football player, not Michael Sam the gay football player. And then he's doing these things, but he's doing it straight up to market himself. I mean, I don't think there's any question. I mean, oh. he figured out that he's Michael Sam, the football player, is not going to make nearly as much money as Michael Sam, the gay football player. And he's got the, uh, you know, he's got a possible television show. He's already got an endorsement deal. I mean, I mean, you got, hey, you have to do what you have to do. Because if someone on pick, you're not going to make a lot of money. And you're probably, and your spot with the team is not guaranteed. No. So, you, you got to strike by the, you, know, you got to strike by the spot. And maybe all this other side publicity with the TV show, the endorsements, things of that nature, may entice the team to keep him on longer just for the publicity he'll bring. Well, or the fact that they don't want to get ridiculed for cutting a football player. There you go. I mean, there's that too, right? Yeah. I mean, and, and I give him, that would give him at least three years. And then if he's not, you know, if he, he can't play, then he will definitely be cut because NFL with the roster and get a 54 man roster. You can't, you can't wait to roster spot. No, you can't. So but then there's a there's got to be some resentment in the not not because he's gay but because of the attention he's getting uh, you in know, that locker room. You know, I've I've talked to a, a couple of NFL players about that, and you know, a lot of them really just are kind of like, you know, he's just doing what he has to do, and, and they kind of understand the business side of what he's doing, and, and they're cool with it. Uh, from, like I said, that's one of the NFL players I talk to, and, and oddly enough, we talk about other things, well, especially like you know, other homosexuals on teams, things of that nature. You know, they told me you know, several times that you know, there's been a lot of gay football players. Yeah, uh, a ton of gay football players. But you know, we as long as they play, we don't we don't care. And I think that's the way it is. If a guy's gonna help you win, he helps you win. Yeah. But if he's exploiting the situation, to me, it's a little bit completely different. So, uh, you know, yeah, I, I agree. I don't, it doesn't matter who you are. If you're gonna help, if you're on the team, you're gonna help us win. You know, they, that's, all that that's all that matters. You know, like like to me, like I'm, I'm much rather if I was a gay football player, I'd much rather come out like Michael Sam than what happened to Kerry Rhodes, who used to play for Yovell. Right. Because that was just, um, I, I, I was just painful. You know, I've met Kerry. I like Kerry. He's, he's, a, he's a really good guy. And when the pictures started coming out, when his assistant, I think, leaked the pictures, it was just. Uh, you know, I was, I was kind of painful. All right, well, we're going to head into our first break right now. We got Brian, the insider, is going to be calling in the next segment. We're going to talk a little bit about the 139th running of the Preakness, which I know you love horse racing. You know what? I, I do. I, I, I really do love horse racing. I mean, I've been hanging on you guys and you on the track some more and hanging around some other horse people this uh, past weekend. I, I have found an new, appreciation. Yes, I found a new appreciation for horse racing. All right, so Mike and Haven, we'll be right back here on the Weekend Sports Bus.
You're listening to the Weekend Sports Buzz. Tell us your thoughts on the Oxmoor Ford Lincoln Buzz Line at 384-1450. All right, Mike and Dabo and Hayden Harrington back here at the Kiddo Classic here at the Masonic Home. We are on the Brandon J. Lawrence Weekend Sports Buzz. Uh, again, the, the Kiddo Classic starts here just a little bit. We're going to have volleyball action going around and supporting the boys and girls Haven. Uh, great charity to help some underprivileged kids. So, uh, but today's also a big day because we have a little bit of a the second the second leg of the uh, Triple Crown today. The Preakness Stakes. I'm excited. You know, I'm actually excited to see if California Chrome, who just looked so dominant, who ran just the perfect Derby race, you know, if he can do it again because I mean, he just looks like the real deal. I mean, he, he looks like he runs like he is for real. So we're going to bring on our horse racing expert, Brian, the insider. Brian, how are you doing? Good morning, gentlemen. How's everybody doing this morning? We're doing great. We uh, had a lot of fun with you at Churchill Downs a couple weeks ago, but we're looking forward to this pregnant stakes. Yeah, that was a great day. I appreciate being out there, having John Asher on there with us. That was fantastic. I'm excited, guys. This is uh, the second leg of the, the second jewel in the Triple Crown, and uh, all eyes will be on California Chrome to see if he is uh, as impressive as he looked in the Derby and coming into the Derby. He has had a little bit of a setback this week. He's got some kind of little pimple in his throat that he's been treated for. Some horse racing guys don't think it's that big a deal. Some other ones I've read uh, don't like any kind of disruption going in. Uh, supposedly he had it before the Derby. It's kind of flared up on him. He's been treated with some kind of a saline that, uh, uh, you know, they don't seem too worried about him, uh, but... Uh, you don't want any hiccups going into a big race coming off a two-week uh, uh, trying effort like he had in the Derby. So uh, he's going to be a very short price, guys. As we know, he, he, he came in, he was 5-2 to two in the Derby. He's a morning line favorite of 3-5 to five in the Preakness, which is about as short as price as you can get. Uh, but but I, and I like him, and I, and I hope for horse racing he wins. But I got a couple other ones that I'm looking at that I think can provide some value to your listeners' uh, tickets if they get out to the track and bet it today. Well, so I'm a, I kind of like, uh, th- there's a prep for the uh, Preakness called the Sir Barton Stakes run over the Pimlico course, and there was a very impressive winner, uh, Kid Cruz. Kid Cruz, uh, very impressive time, very nice uh, three-length win. He looks like good money. And then there's that social inclusion. Mike, you might remember social inclusion. He won it into the Derby, very impressive uh, allowance winner down at Gulfstream. He didn't get into the field, uh, and, but he's, he's been pointing towards the Preakness now for a while, and he really looks, uh, his times, he's got some very impressive times. He looks good, and uh, a horse coming out of the Derby, we know Kentucky Derby horses traditionally do very well in the Preakness. Um, General A-Rod is just one of three horses, including California Chrome, that's going to try the second leg, which is kind of a low number for Derby horses going into the Preakness. But he looks good. And, and one last long shot I've got for you is Dynamic Impact, the Illinois Derby winner. I think he's got the uh, pedigree out of Tisnow. He could, uh, he's a late-developing colt. He could uh, he could surprise some people, but all eyes will be on California Chrome, guys. How much did the uh, the post position draw help California Chrome with most most of the speed being on the outside of him? Uh, it's going to let him kind of settle into his spot pretty easily. Yeah, yeah, he drew the three hole. Uh, uh, you know, he's he's one of those fortunate horses that has tactical speed, so. Uh, 
I, you know, as impressive as he was, I think he came out of what the five hole in the Derby and he put himself in perfect position all the way around the track. He's got about half the field size for the Preakness. So I don't expect him to uh, have any real traffic problems and I expect him to get a clean trip. And, uh, uh, you know, I don't think there'll be any exclu- uh, excuses for him at all. So I don't expect his post position to be a problem at all. Okay. We're on the line with Brian, the insider, breaking down a freakness. Hey, Brian, this is hey, I have a quick question for you. I was reading a sports column uh, during the week who actually said that he thought that the field in a freakness was stronger than the field in a derby. I'll let you get your thoughts on that. Yeah, there, there, a lot of uh, people are a little disappointed with that. How many derby horses, you know, which is supposed to be the best of the crop coming out as a three-year-old, only three of them went on to the Preakness. I was reading uh, yesterday where the Preakness, uh, the guy that runs the track for Pimlico is once again, and you see this about every, almost every couple of years where they, uh, people start to challenge, uh, the, the triple crown setup. And, you know, there's two weeks between the Derby and the Preakness, which is a very short period of time for horses. And then there's three weeks between the Preakness and the Belmont. So the traditionalist and myself included really don't want to see that changed. That's what makes the triple crown, uh, so difficult is that you've got to, you've got to beat, uh, you've got to win on three tracks in a very short period of time. The, but the people in Pimlico are upset that they didn't get more derby horses uh, entered into this race. So they're asking for what they want to see is, uh, and they've, they've started discussions with Belmont, they want to see the derby stay on their traditional first Saturday in May, and then they would like to go to the Preakness the first Saturday in June, with the Belmont being the first Saturday in July. I don't think it's going to happen. I hope it doesn't. But, uh, yeah, a lot of people are disappointed with uh, how many derby horses made the trip over to Baltimore. What about, uh, you know, we didn't get the uh, we didn't get the matchup we wanted with California Chrome and Untappable. So we're also seeing that, I guess, a little bit with how they're protecting the Phillies. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Untappable. I mean, she, you know, she, she really should have probably, uh, she would be a short price in this race. And I think that you're 100% right. That's what the racing world wants to see. Those appear to be the two best horses in training right now. Uh, and, you know, besides the Oaks, there's not a lot. There's big races in, at Belmont and Saratoga for Phillies. Uh, not exactly sure what she's pointing to now, but boy, she was such an impressive winner of the Oaks. And uh, you know, she she appears on paper to be maybe the only real challenger to California Chrome, but very small chance we'll see her at Belmont. Even though Rags to Riches did beat Curlin in 2007 in the Belmont, uh, so a Philly has has done well in the Belmont, but. Uh, uh, I don't think we'll see her in the Belmont. Wish we would. Wish we'd see more Phillies back in there. But good point for bringing that up because we do have a Philly in the uh, Preakness today, Rio Antone. Uh, she was a Philly that ran in the Oaks, uh, finished strong, but was nowhere near untappable. She since trained, uh, changed barns. She was with Baffert for the Oaks, and now she's with Tom Amos. And they've put her in the Preakness today, so we do have a Philly. Unlike the Derby, we've got a Philly entered in the Preakness today, so I know a lot of ladies will be pulling for the Philly Rio Antone to uh, pull it for the females. <laughs> it's like our third trainer in the last six months or something like that, too, uh, if I remember that. Yeah. But I think that was because they wanted to go east and the ambassador wanted to go west, and so they, they cut ties there. 
But, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm totally expecting the California crowd to come in victorious today. I, I really don't see much of a challenge for uh, this race, setting up hopefully for a potential triple crown run in the Belmont. Belmont is probably cheering for California Chrome more than anyone because that affects that horse race so much. It's not even funny. Yeah, the Belmont, you know, they they call it Big Sandy. It's a very deep, sandy track, plus it's a mile and a half, so you're 100% right. Horses coming out of the Derby. Uh, history says California Chrome won't have much problem today, but he will face new challengers. A lot of the Derby horses that were his main rivals in the Kentucky Derby are sitting back, resting up, getting ready for the for commanding curve, uh, finished a very good second in the Derby. He's for Dallas Stewart. He's resting up, waiting for the Belmont. So, you know, most people don't think, and that's why he's three to five, California Chrome's going to have much problems today. But three weeks from today, he'll get a whole new cast of characters shooting at him. And uh, when you go a mile and a half at Big Sandy uh, with that long, long stretch run Belmont has, uh, it's it, it, all uh, my memory goes back to real quiet uh, for Baffert and uh, had to had the triple crown in the bag opened up about a 10 or 12 length lead at the top of the stretch at the Belmont uh, Kent DeSormo very much criticized for his ride actually let off the horse a little bit and then out of nowhere came victory gallop to nip him at the wire and rob probably the best shot we had for a triple crown in 30 years so uh it's a tough gig. Uh, California Chrome's got to get past today, and uh, I think he will. But there are some horses in this race that could beat him today at a huge price. So I'm going to I'm going to be swinging at the fences and try to hit a try. And uh, I'd like to see California Chrome win, but uh, more importantly, I'd like to see myself win a nice uh, exotic wagering. <laughs> there you go. All right, Brian. Thanks a lot for joining us today. Thank you very much, guys. Love the show. Keep up the great work. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, kind sir. So, uh, Boy Crow, uh, I mean, horse racing would, I think, needs, horse racing needs him to win. I, I actually feel like, I'm a, I'm a little bit of a conspiracy theorist on this. I feel like some of the horses were told not to run the, in, the, in the previous. Really? Yeah, I just feel like they want to have that, you know, horse going into the Belmont Stakes with two wins, makes the Belmont it probably, I mean, it might, I mean, it makes a difference on who, how many people watch the Belmont for sure. I mean, their TV ratings have got to be just astronomical, astronomically impacted by whether or not there's a chance oh, to show Of course, because like guys like myself is used to be just casual horse racing fan. You will miss the. Uh, well, I mean, I'm, I don't know why. You know, as a casual fan, if California Crawford doesn't win today, I can even tell you what channel the, the Belmont Stakes is going to be on. What time? I would have no clue. And you probably would have no chance to watch it. No chance to watch it. But if you win, I'm going to watch. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to make sure that I'm tuning in because I want to see the first Triple Crown winner, not in my lifetime, but the first one that I could remember because I was so young Yeah, when that Triple Crown happened in 78. So, uh, and, and, you know, horse racing just needs that little shot in the arm in them. I think they're hoping that one of the personalities of horse racing can kind of grab the media attention, too. So... I just, uh, I don't know, I, I, I just kind of feel that way, that they want to try to give you know, this horse the best chance possible. It was surprising, but the thing that horse racing to me like, really needs, they need to find a way to have the horses, and I know it's impossible because this is what you know, they make all their money, but there's a way maybe to hold off studying horses so soon, so actually like, they win the Derby or you know they win the Belmont, you can kind of watch them run like, a couple of times after that. 
so they kind of become household names. But you know, with them going to stud almost like as soon as they win. You know what that's like, though. That's like telling kids to wait to, to go in the NBA draft. Exactly, because they don't want to show any kind of weakness there. Yeah. And but the other thing is they don't, and also they don't want to have any kind of catastrophic injury. So those two things are the reason why they don't. So it's really very similar. We made that analogy to, uh, at Churchill. You know, these these horses to, to basketball players and the young basketball players. It's the, it's the exact same thing. The reason why the argument against or the, the, the argument the players will make that they should be able to go in the NBA draft as early as possible. And, and it makes sense. You know, if I was a horse owner, my horse won the Derby and, you know, won the Belmont, that's the next thing I would do. You know, if you send him the triple crown, then, hey, out to stud you go. You know, right. Because that's what, that's what I'm going to make all my money. You're going to make a lot of money. And I'll, I'll find another horse. So, yeah. And it's just, exactly, you can go out there and try to, Trying to make another run at it, but that's why you know, I always talk about horse racing. It's going to be very hard for a, a horse to take horse racing to the next level. It's got to be one of the personalities because of the horse racing career. You know, we talked about this where Wise Van, who who had actually got sick, I don't know if you saw that or not, but Wise, we don't have a huge following for Wise Van, who's probably the best horse in North America right now. Zenyatta kind of captured the country a little bit, but that was kind of short lived. You need a personality who's going who's going to have some withstanding long term success. What you need is that rock star trainer that everybody loves to hate. The backward kind. Of, you know, you need back to come back. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. But you need a couple of backwards. So you have that rivalry. Yeah. And but, then they can have like wrestling smack off talks. Yeah. What if we did that? You know, we get Mean Gene Oakland out there with a the microphone and. Well, no, see, no, you know, you know, no, this is a gentleman's sports. You can't with smack off talks. Oh, come on, we got to, You know, let's let's. let's do that. The only thing is, like, there's, like, any windows. No? Well, I think I have the best horse. And if somebody thinks that uh, I'm not training my horse as well. And I, I think we should get belts. I'm every time caught. Like, we'll just get real big belt buckles. Right, that's a big horse. Yeah. Huh? Yeah, that'd be a great horse. Like, real yeah. big belt buckles. Let's get straight at the derby. <laughs> you can put them on your shoulder like you're a champion. <laughs> that's right. And then they can, you know, and then the smackles. I think we need to have the smackles. That'd be good. Yeah. They're really good. They, they get in front of their barns, and then, let me tell you, brother, so we are again here at Mike Gandolfo, Haven Harrington, uh, the Brandon J. Lawrence Weekend Sports Buzz. We are out here at the Masonic Home uh, trying to stay warm as possible, getting ready for some volleyball action. We're only about 20 minutes away from uh, volleyball games actually starting here. I think they start at 10 a.m. And then, uh, again, you have the St. Matthew Street Festival going on right outside. Uh, that we're, we're looking right now. It looks like they got a little fun, inflatable thing for the kiddos. There's a couple of you know, right there by the Walgreens on the Frankfurt Avenue here. They they, uh, they got a little Chick-fil-A tent over there. I know they got a couple of beer booths. Uh, you know, Mellow Mushrooms going to be out there. There's going to be some good food, good information. Uh, there's going to be, uh, you know, Ari Solutions is going to have a little impact on one of the booths. Really? So, yeah, we're going to be out there. My dad's going to be out there. Okay. So you need to come by and, you know, talk to him about, you know, real estate needs or whatever else. So, uh, just give us a little pitch, you know. Hey, you know what? You should give us a little bigger pitch than that. <laughs> so, well, all right. I mean, you're like the Donald Trump of, of Louisville. Now, now, that's you. That's, that's you, man. That is all you. So we're out here having a good time. It is a beautiful morning. Uh, getting ready for some volleyball action. Uh, we let's go ahead and, and take our our last break of the hour, and then we'll come back and with a with a strong statement. We'll be right back on the weekend sports bus.
listening to the Weekend Sports Buzz. Tell us your thoughts on the Oxmoor Fort Lincoln Buzz Line at 384-1450. All right, welcome back, sports fans. Mike and Dolph Haven Harrington here on the Weekend Sports Buzz, brought to you by Brandon J. Lawrence. Also, want to remind you that if uh, you you can stream our our show online at fourteen fifty sportsbuzz.com. Actually, just in uh, or if you want to listen to us, if you if you just missed the show and you got to come back and listen, you can go to live sports live sportscaster Listen to the podcast. Live sportscaster is a great place. You can start your own podcast, become your own sports radio show star on live sportscaster There you go. Or get the app. Get the app. Yep, we got all that stuff. So. Uh, we're going to jump right now to the Oxmoor awesome Four Lincoln Buzz Line. We got Carolina Steve. Carolina, how are you doing? Just fine. Ten days of thunder started last night. Yep. Don't you know what this weekend and next weekend are? Probably is it, uh, this weekend. That's part of the All Star Race for live attendance of sporting events in the United States. And one of them's 90 miles from here. Okay, well, I can barely hear you, so I, I, we're gonna have to just we're gonna have to move on. I don't even know if they, if they can hear on the radio, but for some reason I cannot I cannot hear that well. So we're gonna have to. I apologize, Carolina, Steve, because I know you're gonna bring a good thing, but I just I can't hear you. So uh, I, I barely heard what he had to go on, but I'm sure he's talking about the NASCAR going on right now. And actually, I'm guessing at the All Star race. I don't I don't know. I know they they. Uh, we're getting close to the Coca Cola 600 because they always run that the same weekend as the Indianapolis 500. Uh, you not a racing guy at all? Yes, I am. I, I you know what? I, I do like NASCAR, and I like the Indianapolis 500. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a little racing man. And my favorite NASCAR driver of all time. Who's that? Dale Earnhardt. You're a Dale Earnhardt guy through the halo. That's right, man. I, I love Dale Earnhardt. And I, I don't know why I watch NASCAR like every Saturday, like with my dad or Sunday rather, with my dad at church. And uh, so it's like, guys, uh, next turn to left, and I just love it. There you go. And NASCAR, to me, was a lot of fun, too. And I uh, actually saw last night, I was at the St. X uh, State Lacoste Championship, and uh, St. X beat Trinity, of course. I mean, it was actually a little bit closer than I thought it would be. They only beat him by, like, four goals, and I thought it was going to be an absolute blowout. It was a, a semi-blowout. It was a blowout, isn't it? It was, like, 10 to 6, you know. But that's not too, okay, that's not, you know, that's not too bad. They, they came and played hard. Trinity played, you know, pretty about as good as they could play. So it's just, you know, St. X lacrosse is so dominant right now. It's kind of funny. So the, uh, but I was out there and I saw a guy named Tank Probus. And Tank actually used to be a, a NASCAR pick crew guy. And uh, that's actually how I got involved with uh, with NASCAR because he's a St. X guy. He married into our family briefly. And uh, when he was, <laughs> are you laughing? But that's, that was my, uh, he, he worked with Jeremy Mayfield and, and with Casey Kane and, First race was uh, the Coca Cola 600. That's where I went and saw Casey King win, and that was uh, a while ago. But and then I've, I've got a you know a couple tracks: Bristol, Talladega. You know, want to describe for people just how loud a NASCAR race is. I don't think people understand just how loud it is. Bristol. I mean, it's insanely loud. I, I was driven past like the Daytona 500 while it's going on, and it is loud just driving past it. And you can just imagine what it's like to be inside. That's that's a huge track. So there's no way. You would think it would be so loud because it's just so massive, right? But it is serious. I mean, it's almost deafening driving past. I tell people at Bristol, it's you know, Bristol is all closed, so it's constantly and you you constantly it's only a 
a half-mile track, so you constantly have cars in front of you. And I tell people it's so loud that it's almost relaxing. Like, it's almost it's almost like you're meditating. It's so loud, you know? And you can't hear anything else except for the rumble of the, of the engine of the cars. There's no chance you're talking to the guy next to you. That's how Talladega is a little bit different because, uh, you know, that's a two-and-a-half-mile track. Or it might even be 2.6, uh, two and two-thirds mile. But on the, on the back side, well, not on the back side of the track, and they're all together because it's a restrictor plate race. They, uh... You can talk to the person next to you. It's just you know when they go past you, but it it is very loud, especially for us. It was loud, it was loud in Charlotte too. I mean, I haven't been to Kentucky yet. I gotta I gotta do that. I know it's coming up. But if you've been to Kentucky Speedway, I've not been to all these little places. You haven't been to the home track. I purposely didn't go to the first one. Now part of me wanted to go to the first one, but I just knew the traffic concerns that the traffic concerns were gonna. And of course they did. Now they figured it out. I mean they they figured it out big time. And and I think that was more. It wasn't really on the speedway. Some of it was on the speedway, but some of it was also on the new, the people that are new to going to NASCAR races. You don't go to a NASCAR race like you do a basketball game. You don't, you know, 7 o'clock game at the Yum Center, you show up at 6.30 or between 6.30 and 7, go to your seat and watch a basketball game. That's not what you do. That You lose the NASCAR experience if that's what you do. you got to get there almost like a football game. It's a tailgate. Tailgate, people watch. I mean, the people watching is what makes NASCAR fun. I can only imagine. I mean, it's great. And you see it, you know, a 65-year-old man who's been cut off jean shorts, drunk off his, you know what, and he's, he's driving a motorized uh, cooler. <laughs> you know, that's what it's all about. And uh, you just see some very interesting things in NASCAR races. You know, I can only imagine. Yeah. Yeah, I think the motorized cooler. The motorized cooler is my favorite. And we were debating whether or not you could get a DUI on a motorized cooler. I guess it goes like over 25 miles an hour. Now, is that what it is? Yeah. Well, then, I think it's possible. I mean, only if you had, had that thing like really souped up, and that, might, that thing was only you know puttering around just to, you know maybe six, seven, eight miles an hour. But. Like the Walmart uh, shopping cart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's that's I mean that was, that's what you need to do. You got to get one of those things and just replace the basket with a big cooler. I know, right? You know, that would be that would be all right. You know. But yeah, the NASCAR the NASCAR experience is not just the race. You've got to get there and enjoy the whole thing. I mean, you've got to walk around, see people. Everyone's real friendly and nice, and uh, it makes a lot of fun. So I I miss having been to a race in a while. So I need to I need to go to Kentucky. Maybe we, we you know try to get some. We should just show fast and do our show at Kentucky Speedway. We should we should show up. We need to make that happen. We need to make that happen. Yes, we do. We also did the Indianapolis 500 next year, only because it's the Indianapolis 500. I've never been to the Indianapolis 500. Now, that, to me, that's a Kentucky Derby. It's a Kentucky, Kentucky, Derby, it, it, it's a Kentucky Derby of uh, car racing. Well, it depends on what kind of car racing. I guess uh, there's the point of a car racing or any yeah. car, car open racing. wheel, open for sure. And then uh, when I think of that, though, I mean, NASCAR, yes, you're going fast, but you still got to. Got a back full low cage. Yeah, I mean, and you're you're going to be more likely. There's it's going to have to take a pretty big accident to be catastrophic. You put that that car, the open wheel car, and your head is exposed, and you're that low to the ground, and you're going faster than those NASCAR things, and those things. Oh man, I mean, you seem. It seems like we have a death in open wheel racing. You know, once every five six years. And that's what makes it exciting. I, I guess. guess. That's what makes it exciting, man. You know, not only do you have the racing aspect, but, you know, you have the 
you know, the guy hits a bump and gets tapped, a little air, a little too much air gets underneath the car, and there you go. It's dangerous, man. You know, what I find so amazing by car racing, like when you do the in-dash camera and there's an accident and there's smoke and everything covering the track and you're doing 100 miles an hour, actually, I go fast, I do 150 miles an hour, you can't see anything in front of you. I feel like it's right up on you. Yeah. And these two cops trying to swerve out the way to miss other cars. And it's just like, wow. They, they had a lot of that going on in Kansas City uh, last week. I mean, it was uh, craziness. It's just, and it is. I mean, those guys, that's what makes those guys athletes to me. I mean, that's I mean, that's not a bad topic either. But, you know, do you consider those guys athletes? Uh, are they just, like, glorified in-person video games? Like, well, you know, it's kind of hard to tell. You know, it's, it's like... You know, I know it takes a ton of stamina to sit in a car for, you know, three or four hours. When it could be like, it's not like you have air conditioning in those cars. You got the hot air conditioning. Yeah, it's hot. You got the plastic windows, so it just magnifies it even more. Because you know, the engine is loud and it's noisy, and you're just going around the track bumping other people at 200 miles an hour. Peeing down inside your leg. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, wow, you know, just like, you know... The amount of concentration that takes, you know, I, like, I love to drive. When I drive, this is my mom and Florida all the time, good 10, 12 hours, and I can do it, you know, like, uh, you know, no problem. But I got, I got things that, you know, it's like, but, you know, I'm doing 60, you know, doing 70, 80 miles an hour in a car, so it's a little bit different with 200 miles an hour, worrying about, like, you know, okay, the pass and my drafting, the position, man, it, 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 it takes a lot. It takes a lot. I, I can see where you can almost consider that to be an athlete because it, it's so draining. Oh, and your hand-eye coordination has got to be phenomenal. Yeah, it has to be phenomenal. But the fact that, you know, and like... reaction time. You know, you know like, like we play football, you have to concentrate. You know, play may take 20, 30 seconds at the most. So that's 20, 30 seconds of concentration. Then you break for 30 seconds, and you go back and concentrate again. You know, this, it's your 100% focus and concentration for three or four straight hours. And you cannot break concentration. If you break concentration, you're not paying attention, just... The slightest second, you can kill yourself. And I, I, I would, the only way that I think a normal driver could even equate something like that is like if you're on the road, you're going 70 miles an hour, and you're boxed in by semis, and, you're out of, and you, you know how you kind of tense up a little bit, and you're just trying to keep the car, and then you put that on like a on a bumpy surface because those those NASCAR surfaces are usually not very smooth, and then especially Kentucky, I think actually the drivers prefer them to be bumpy. I think that makes them, I guess they they makes them more fun. I know like the drivers love the surfaces in Kentucky. Supposedly, so, um, but yeah, I mean, you got to kind of tense up and 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 doing that for three hours. I mean, that's, that's insane. <laughs> it is insane. Imagine doing an open wheel. <laughs> and, and you know what else? The guys that are definitely athletes to me are the guys in those pit crews. I mean, you got you. And a lot of them are former athletes, former football players. You got twelve seconds to change tires, gas it up, and get it out. To change four tire, tires that have five lug nuts apiece. And get 19 gallons of fuel in the car. Crazy! That is nuts. You know, Crazy. that is absolutely nuts. And you got to get over the wall. And and you know, I know that basically, I guess the the, the time was maybe it's 14 seconds, but that was kind of cut off. But what happens is if those guys beat that 14 seconds, they get a bonus. If they don't beat the 14 seconds, they lose money. Hmm. I mean, they got pressure. Yeah. No, in fact, the race, the race comes down those seconds. It comes down those those precious, precious seconds. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely does. It's, uh, it is, it's, it's pretty exciting. I mean, I, I didn't ever think I'd be a NASCAR fan, and I think going to a race helped me appreciate it a lot more. Uh, but I can sit down and watch a NASCAR race. You know, definitely. I, 
you know, I, I usually don't watch it start to finish, but I usually maybe have it on in the background while I'm doing something else, or I'll, I'll tune in for, you know, 10 laps here, 10 laps there, and and kind of get a feel for it. I, I look like racing, period, like NASCAR, IndyCar, uh, kart racing, uh, even Formula One. And I find Formula One is so interesting because, you know, it's just like most worldwide sports. And they race in some of like the most beautiful locations you can possibly race in. They really do. They're like they're like racing in Monte Carlo, or you know, you're racing in uh, Morocco, and you know, it's just like wow, the French Riviera. So we yeah. kind of like cool. We've kind of talked a little bit about everything, some of the security things. It's it's interesting to me. Like you know, we talked about lacrosse for a little bit. We're talking about racing here. It's kind of interesting to me how the obscure sports are kind of taking. Getting some, uh, getting some traction, I guess, and and in Louisville, especially with the kids. I mean, we're starting to see, like, for example, did you know we had a high school rugby championship? No. Yeah, we have that. You know, they have ice hockey. It's about ice hockey. Archery, bowling, and and bass fishing are now Kentucky High School Athletic Association sports. I mean, that's actually the things that they award. The state of Kentucky gets the championship for, not just club sports like lacrosse and rugby and all that stuff. What I find interesting is, will because the number one sport that every kid plays at least once. All the there's not a kid listening. I, let me rephrase that. There's an adult listening right now that, as a kid, I don't think has not played soccer. I would agree with that. Well, but, most of them, yeah. Yeah, but about ninety percent of our listening audience at one point has played soccer as a, as a kid growing up. But soccer has not translated. That is still the world's most popular sport. And, and, I, and I know Will was working on getting a professional soccer team now. It's like they're down to the final stretch. It's like it's going to get done. Really? I didn't, I didn't yeah. know that lately. Yeah. So it's like, like a, an MLS team? Yeah. Well, uh, it's like a minor league MLS team. It's like a club team. Those kind of teams come in and out of town, especially yeah. the indoor teams. And, that, and then they'll be playing out at, uh, I believe, the uh, what a match play. At, at Will Slugger Field? They're going to play at Slugger Field. Yes. Really? Yeah. And... Um, you know, one of the things that I find uh, interesting is that you know, that still hasn't translated into the wide acceptance of soccer yet. Because I think all these kids grew up playing soccer. You think they kind of translate a little bit into that next level. You know, like, okay, now professional soccer. Everybody's getting excited about the World Cup. And, you know, the United States is still like, yeah, soccer. Not really, unless you talk to the actual soccer people here. Yeah, I mean, they're crazy about it. And then, I mean, love it, but like the outside, like that, the casual fans, it still just hasn't, oh, it hasn't crossed that threshold. It's still like it just comes in bits and starts. Like it just can't, for some reason, it just can't get over that hump. Yeah, basically, soccer. I thought was kind of it kind of pushed us along. But would you rather watch soccer match or would you rather really be out here watching volleyball? I'm in volleyball all day long. Yeah, and that's on the same way <laughs> because it's fast paced, it's exciting, there's actual scoring like involved. You know, and, and I guess watching soccer is. You know, people don't understand how I like baseball so much and how I'm a baseball fan, but you have to learn the nuances and appreciate baseball. you got to learn how to treat every pitch in baseball as a play in setting up something else. It's probably the same thing in soccer and even in hockey to some degree. But I still, I'll watch a hockey game before I watch a soccer game. You know, I, I try to watch soccer games, and I do watch the World Cup only because of the, of the pageantry of the World Cup. I really, really want to go to the World Cup. But I would not go to Rio de Janeiro for the World Cup because I've just heard horror stories. And we got a—that's actually another good point. We only got like a minute left to go in the segment. But did you see that uh, the the World Soccer chairperson is like? I guess in 2022, it's supposed to go to Qatar. 
Yeah, and, and, and they've always said they probably pull out a guitar. Yeah, because of the heat, they just can't. They yeah. can't do it, and then the infrastructure there, too. So, because Rio is just having, I mean, we can talk about this after the break, but, you know, Rio's also supposed to Olympics as well. The Olympic Committee's looking for backup cities. Yeah, because they're seeing what's going on with this World Cup. Yeah, they're, they're, they're looking for backup cities. They're like, okay, this ain't going to work. London just did it, so they still have all the infrastructure. And London barely did it. Yeah, I mean, and same thing with Sochi. Sochi really didn't do it. Folks didn't do it, but they don't. Folks didn't do it at all. They just faked it. And they just can't have that kind of disaster yet. No, you yeah. can't. I mean, it was, it was a good fake because people really didn't notice how bad Sochi was. The, the, the Olympic Village really wasn't finished. Or a lot of solemn races and things of that nature weren't finished. They had to, they had to import snow because Sochi is like really... It's a, a summer town. Yeah, it's a summer town. Some resort town. They had to import snow. I mean, it was, it was literally warmer in like Sochi than it was in Here. Louisville. Yeah. Yeah. It was just it was just crazy, and you know in Brazil, nothing's finished. People riding because they're spending so much money on the soccer stadium now. They had to jack up all the rates for like the light rail system and everything else. So people now begin to riot because those infrastructure is falling apart. Why the government shifts all their money for uh, you know, trying to build, trying to get ready for the World Cup, and then get ready for Olympics after that. All right, so that's uh, other things that we can touch on when we get on the other side of the break. We'll be right back on the weekend sports buzz brought to you by Brandon J. Lawrence. All right, we are back here again at the uh, Masonic Home, Mike and Dolph Haven here, and this is the Brandon J. Lawrence Weekend Sports Buzz. And uh, getting ready for some ball ball action. The, the players are starting to filter in here a little bit. We should be having games here start anytime soon. Then uh, head on over to the St. Matthew Street Festival right next door. And uh, talking a little bit at the break, you know, I also want to remind you, again, check out LiveSportsCaster.com if you want to catch a replay of this show or any of the other shows that we've done in the past. We've done a good one lately. Oh, yeah. University. Then you have to build all the tracks, which you don't have. Um, 
Texas, you have to build like you well, know, the stadium. You have to build a stadium. You have to build a main stadium. You have to build the other tracks and everything else that you have to have. It's just you know it takes literally billions of dollars. So was it a strategic move you think for Rio to get the World Cup and then two years later get the Olympics? Almost like the World Cup could be like a halfway point because they had to have this much done before the Olympics, and that so. Well, and that's the idea. Yeah, and that's like the idea. We 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 can do this much. And but uh, this much infrastructure for the World Cup because no, you know you don't need a soccer stadium, sort of Olympics, and you're gonna need a, a new light rail system and all this other stuff and expand expressways and stuff to to meet. And then we we'll have to move out all the poor folks because there's like slum villages surrounding Rio, so you got to move them. And crazy people. people, there's crazy people all over Rio, man. Yeah, there is, and, and that's the problem we're having it now. They're trying to evict the poor folks, move them out. They're not wanting to go. They're they're riding now because. You know, the, the city and actually the, the country itself, you know, isn't investing in those neighborhoods. And they're like, we're well, spending billions of dollars for this stuff. And uh, you're jacking the rates and everything else. Uh, the, the pay for it. Now, this this isn't going to work. And, and crime is like, ass. I mean, this is horrible. And correct me if I'm wrong, but when we had the World Cup here in the United States last, I mean, they had it in several cities. I mean, yeah. coast to coast. I mean, it was all over the place. And then they had this, I don't know where they had the finals, but. You know, they, uh, I know that they went, I mean, they had teams everywhere. I mean, it just wasn't. We have to because it's just, I mean, it's just massive. Like, I don't think Americans can really comprehend because, you know, right now in America, we don't have like that big international sport that the whole, I think boxing may be the closest thing that we have to truly international sport. Yeah, because football's just here. Yeah, football's just here. Baseball's uh, basically just on the American continent. I mean, I guess it's. American and Asia, maybe a little bit. But. Yeah, but 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 it's not like a world sport. All the world, all the best. Well, they like, don't see like the All Japan team come and play our World Series team winner to see like who's you know and fight out for global dominance. Right. You know, the soccer. They're trying to do that with the World Baseball Cup a little bit, but not really. It's not the same. No, it's not definitely not the same. Yeah, but you know, the World Cup is like we have country going against country from the, the top clubs and everything else. Then you have, you know, especially those soccer crazed places. You know, you can go. Every time I'm playing, a million visitors. I mean, I, from around the world to come watch their team play. Those two, those two events, the Olympics and the uh, and the World Cup, are so unique. Though. I mean, there's nothing really that comes close to touching those two things, right? I'm oh, not even close. Not even close. And the economic impact they have on the city, it's like it's just mind-boggling. I mean, it's just like take what the Derby does and multiply by ten times. And I wonder how many. Yeah, well, to put that into perspective, I think also. Is, you get those big crowds like you get for the Derby, and then you have to have so many different sites. I mean, it's not like you have one World Cup soccer stadium, and that's the only place where they're playing soccer. They have yeah. to play soccer probably about, I'd say there's probably going to be at least a half dozen to ten sites uh, for them to have games. And yeah. each one is going to have each stadium seats anywhere between, you know, 30, 40. The main stadium seats probably over 100,000. And, you know, they got they first got the players, then you got all the fans from all over the world, so your airport. And that's what's, that's what's holding real huge down now. They're still almost doubling the size of the airport. Yeah. Just for the Olympics and the World Cup. And it's it's it's, it's a big undertaking. Yeah, it'd be interesting as far as, you know, as far as Louisville's concerned to host something big. You know, we get the PGAs and the, the riders. Those are big terms. I, I don't think our airport actually helps us. Not Mainly just because our airport is used to handling a lot of air traffic. Yes, it is. Not a passenger. But we're, like we're like the fifth busiest airport in the country. Yeah. I mean, you have the traffic. Handling travel is no problem. We got the large runways so you can right. get like the super big international jetliners land. Thanks, EPS. 
pretty much, yeah, yeah, very much so. Uh, you know, like I was telling the guy doing Derby, you know, the Kentucky Derby is the second largest gathering of private checks of any sporting event in the world. Really? I think World Cup's number one, the Derby's number two. And then, you know, and that's why, you know, overall, those, we're, we've been really good about handling big events here. I mean, oh, yeah, but I mean, nothing to that scale. Nothing to them. Best like having the Kentucky Derby at four different places at the same time going on. You know, find a hotel room on this area is impossible anyway, but imagine like four derbies going on at, at exactly the same time. All in the same basic region. Yeah, I mean, you would have to, I mean, for something like that to happen, you know, Louisville would have to build out white rails because there's no way the road system would take it. So you have to get a real modern public transportation system in in place. You know, those things take like, years to build. So you would have to literally start gearing up. You know, you don't get the, the Olympics, let's say, like in 2020. You have to start gearing up like now. Oh, yeah. And now it must be too late to start. Well, I think they've already ordered that. I'm, I'm, I'm sure they have, but I'm, I, I'm not certain. But, yeah, as soon as you get the award at the Olympic stuff, you got to have a plan. And, well, you have to have a plan in place to get awarded the Olympics in the first place, but you got to put that plan in action. As soon as they say, okay, we're going with you. It's like, all right, it's next day. Let's go. Yeah. Okay. The good thing is get a lot of government subsidies. I know, like, when they did the, uh, the Olympics in Utah, uh, almost like 50% of that was sold by the federal government. You know, it kind of helped Utah, Salt Lake City build up for the Winter Olympics because uh, the, 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 the municipality, you just can't do it all. And I would say, like, uh, I go back to Atlanta, the 96 Olympics in Atlanta, and I, I think Atlanta was always kind of the big city of the South. But I feel like that Olympics kind of took their city to the next level. But it, it, it became like the big city in the South to now a, a world city. Yeah. Now, now it's a global city. Now, now that's changed everything. I made Atlanta, you know, the Atlanta... Los Angeles, New York, those in San Francisco, those like their global cities. And that put Atlanta in that, in that global city. So now you mentioned Atlanta in the same Chicago. Place. Yeah, in the same place you mentioned like London or Sydney or Paris. I mean, you know, the major global cities. Uh, and I kind of agree with that. I mean, I feel like uh, I don't think it had as big of an impact in LA in 84, but I was also kind of young back then. And, uh, but I do feel like the Atlanta Olympics really kind of took that city to the next level, for yeah. sure. And it transformed the city as well. I mean, it really just transformed the city because, you know, I went to Morehouse College, which was right downtown in Atlanta. And when I went to school, Morehouse didn't have air conditioning, that first of the ones. Uh, you were surrounded by projects. And when the Olympics came through, they tore down everything around the uh, Morehouse, upgraded all the dorms, because the Morehouse became like a, a site of some of the Olympic, you know, some Olympic games. So upgraded the basketball stadium, the pool, uh, it was just like a, an overnight transformation of the Atlanta University complex. So they use a lot of facilities? Yes. And, 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 and it transforms around the area. You go to Georgia Tech, and you see those new... Yeah, Georgia Tech's right there. Yeah. You know, that's all the college Olympics. All those new dorms, everything else, all the college Olympics. And, you know, the amount of investment in the university, you know, in Atlanta, it was just phenomenal. And even the neighborhoods, I mean, transformed literally the whole west end of Atlanta. And when you go back to the impact here, I think we're starting to see that with the growth of the University of Louisville and kind of the things that Churchill Downs are going. That area between Churchill Downs and Louisville, U of is really starting to transform and improve. I mean, I guess, you know, you got you know, you got the new uh, resource facility going in on uh, third, third, yeah, uh, more student housing over there too. Yeah, more student housing. You know, even Louisville just announced the plan, or U of just announced the plan uh, this week. To redo the uh, Olmstead Park right across like from the main entrance, you will to to tear down those dorms and you know build newer dorms. So and they're building dorms right now on Fourth Street. 
So, you know, that the expansion of campus is coming. Um, and, and Churchill Downs has got to be the happiest neighbor in the world because of that stuff, I, I would think. You know, just, I think as U of L expands like that, A, what Churchill Downs has done smart with the night racing is be able to capture that college crowd and have to give them an event to just come, you know, a little bit over and enjoy, you know, a very college-centric type of an event. And and almost, you can't really compare it because they're totally different, but the way that UK kids go to Keeneland, they're trying to create something like that for U of O kids yeah. at Churchill. Yeah. All, only thing I think that Churchill Downs be happier with is casino gaming. And with Kentucky ever passed casino gaming, I think that's one thing that really made Churchill Downs like super excited. You know, it made me excited, too, because I would love to have a casino downtown. Yeah. I would love to have two casinos downtown. Love it. Because that means we may actually get a big fight. Yeah. And I think we have, like, a large casino. And I'm not talking about I'm not just first horseshoe or, um, you know, any other local casinos around here. Even disperse the one that's in downtown Cincinnati now. Uh, which was was horrible, but that's the story. But you know, if we could have like a casino like on par with what they have in Vegas, or the ones I've been to in Atlantic City, where it's like a definitely well, even the ones in Atlantic City are not on yeah, par with Vegas. Yeah, but we have like a Vegas esque casino or a Vegas light, if you will. I think that would just be that would just be perfect because I you know I always thought that Louisville should just embrace what we are. You know, we're like the New Orleans. Of the Midwest, everything that every one of our major industries has to do with vice. Yes, with tobacco, bourbon, horse racing, gambling. I mean, that's what we do best. Yeah, why deny it? Exactly. So it's like, well, and who you are, and that's what I was talking about. People too. It's like if we ever got casino gaming here, to me, we would become like one of the premier destinations in the South for like a bachelor party or whatever it might be. It's like you get. You know, go to Louisville, go do a you know, do a night at the, at the casino, a day at the races, uh, you know, bourbon tours, you know, all that kind of stuff that you could have going on. And the impact could be pretty huge as far as our tourism, which is, our, I think, our third biggest industry in Louisville is tourism. And it, 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 to me, it would, be, it would be beyond huge because you could outdo, I honestly think because of our location, you could outdo Atlantic City. Yeah. I agree. He's out there, man. We get some more venues. So one thing on the kids, you're going to start to get more big, big time boxing matches. Uh, uh, you know, you're going to get. But you know what? I mean, like, what is that? Is that like Merriweather? I mean, I, to me, there's not. And this is where I'm the casual boxing fan. You're more the expert. Floyd Merriweather is probably the only fighter that comes in town that would even make me somewhat excited. You can think about going. Well, it's like Floyd Mayweather will only fight in the MGM. Right. He'll only fight in Vegas, and that's because. It's only, it, 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 uh, almost all his fights on Derby because Derby's the biggest betting day of the year. So it's naturally have your fight on that day because the bookies will just love it. And there's no sports yeah, there's no sports betting. Well, I think uh, a couple of the states have sports betting, but they don't have, like, the panache. Uh, we, need a, we need a, a sports book would be, will blow up here. Uh, it, it'll, be, it'll just be beyond phenomenal. But that's never going to happen unless they change the Constitution. So... <laughs> But uh, other than that, though, but, but you didn't get, like, other fights. Uh, you know, maybe some of the, I'm not saying second-tier fights like Bernard Hopkins. And, it, and that would do very well. I mean, because Kentucky is a sports state. Yeah, you know, it, it might do well if we get some of the big UFC stuff. Yeah. I mean, Louisville is a sports city. I mean, just look. But when Tyson was here, what, almost 10, 12 years ago. When he lost? Yeah, when he lost. When Freedom Hall was completely and utterly sold out in, in excitement to see and... Returning, out of shape, 
has been Mike Tyson at that particular time. Yeah, but we all grew up with Tyson. Right. And I, that was the thing. I mean, it's that. I don't remember when that fight happened. They had a ring in the middle of Forcey Live. They mm-hmm. did some stuff stage with him in there. I just happened to walk through there for lunch. And it was it was so cool because I mean, I think a lot of us growing up watching Tyson thought that this guy had a chance to be the, the best ever. Yeah, and. Just imagine like, having those top-notch fighters, HBO here, you know, every other month, Showtime here, every other month doing live broadcast, boxing from Louisville, Kentucky, and their downtown casino. You got Churchill Downs in the background. Heck, wouldn't it be awesome to have a fight at Churchill Downs? It would be a big dream. That'd yeah. be awesome. That would be awesome. I mean, you talk about, uh, you talk about something you can do at the Churchill will be listening. There you go. <laughs> state or state prize fight. Seating might be a little bit of an issue, even but. Well, you know, if you can do it for a concert, you can do it for a fight. What if you just had a pay-per-view out there? That would, that would be awesome as well. Yeah, yeah imagine there's a derby, like after the derby. You just have like a four-way with a fight. Yeah, I don't mean, know people like would just stick around at the derby. There you go. All right, well, uh, we got to take a break. We'll be right back on the Brand J. Lawrence Weekend Sports Buzz. All right, welcome back, sports fans. We're here at the, uh, again at the Masonic Home, getting ready for the 19-year-old Kiddo Classic to support boys and girls Haven, and uh, getting ready. Warm up volleyball. All, all courts right now have players on them almost, and they're uh, they're getting ready to, to start their matches here very shortly. Should be a great day of volleyball. Come on out, enjoy this great event, enjoy the St. Matthew Street Festival. Again, Mike and Novel Haven Harrington here on the Brandon J. Lawrence Weekend Sports Buzz, and uh, also want to make sure that. You go check out LiveSportsCast.com to uh, get any kind of uh, replays of our shows in the past or even start your own podcast. So let's get in on to the NFL. The greatness that is the NFL draft wrapped up. We talked we touched about you know, talked about a little bit with Michael Sam, but NFL draft wrapped up last weekend. You know, I you watch you're you're more of a football guy than I am. I watched every second. I watched every second. Oh, but yes, I had to tell my daughter that no, I, I cannot watch. So you watched the first round? round. Oh, and I got the sixth round. I watched the first round and the second round. Yeah, okay. So you didn't watch the day three stuff? No, I got I got the live updates. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, on day three stuff, it goes everything goes so fast. Now teams are just kind of like, yeah, I'll take him. Right. I'll take him. Okay. Yeah, we'll take him. Uh, you know, the first round was all about the drama. You know, that that's the one that I really want to watch. The first or second round to see who drops and how far they drop. Um, so a lot of people were surprised. A lot of SEC bloggers were really surprised that A.J. McCarron and Zach Beckenberger dropped as far as they did. They went, like, to the third round. And nobody thought that they would draft, you know, they would drop that far. Because, you know, they're like, you know, McCarron's won a, uh, what, a championship. Uh, he's a proven winner. Yeah, he's a proven winner. He's won it twice. He's the uh, kind of guy that you look at, too, and you're like, man, that guy could have a pretty good pro career. It might not ever be a star, but it means, like, a solid starter for – Somebody. Yeah, and the, well, probably the Bengals think he's going to be a good backup. Well, you know, and when I think about that, too, it's like, I know Manziel might have a bigger upside, but he's got a whole lot more risk than A.J. McCarron. Like, you might not, you know what you're going to get with A.J. McCarron. You might not get this knockout star, but this is what we talked about last week when you weren't here uh, on the show. If I am looking at 
the draft of the Browns picking up Johnny Manziel, first off, if I'm a receiver, I don't want to play with that guy. They don't have any receivers right now. Was it what he did until he was uh, suspended for uh, for marijuana use? Yeah. But so, but if you're a receiver, receivers are the biggest prima donnas in sports, right? They should be. And they go out. They want to run their route. They want to catch the ball. and They want to score. Now you've got to go out. You've got to run your route. You've got to figure out what the hell this guy's doing and how do I adjust? Well, no, well, actually, what the great thing about receivers, I think, the light man sell for that fact. Because so they got to work harder? Well, no, because he extends the place. Like, if you're covered, that gives you more time to become uncovered. Which then he's got to find you. Because, you know, honestly, if you're a, a DD or, or safety, if you can cover a receiver for four or five seconds, you're doing your job. Right. But now, if he's doing a play to 10, 12 seconds, somebody's going to be open. And somebody's going to be open behind the defense usually for a big play. And then you know, receivers pretty much love that because they're, they're covered. They get jammed up. And there's no chance of them catching the ball. So I see this guy running around. You know, I can make a couple of moves. Right, but if you're one of the top receivers and you're one of the guys that can get open, you don't want you don't want to work harder than you had to work. Well, he, he's a top receiver. I mean, he's still he brings excitement to the game. Uh, you know, he brings that quote unquote gift factor. You have to Manziel. Yeah, Manziel. He brings gift factor. I mean, he just that's what he does best. I mean, and because of him, you know, yeah, got two Texas A&M receivers get drafted. Oh no, no. See, I, I'll go. I mean, Mike Evans got Manziel drafted as high as he did. He helped. I mean, let's let's not Mike Evans. To me, was the star of that offense, and I just you know I don't know I I think that the risk that is there with Johnny Manziel when you have you you spend a hundred thousand dollars on all these analytics to tell you to pick Teddy Bridgewater because he's the best, and then you get a homeless guy telling you to pick Johnny Manziel, and then you end up picking Johnny Manziel. Johnny also tweeted and was like, "Pick me now, pick me now." Well. The, the bottom line was that this pick was it's about selling tickets. Selling tickets right away. He's the only guy that was going to impact their ticket sales for next year. Yeah, you know, but, you know, Johnny, he may actually turn out to be a good quarterback. The problem is the NFL. And you see this time and time again. It's all the RG3, uh, the return of Mike Dick. You know, a running quarterback doesn't last too long in the NFL because all the hits are going to take. Johnny, Especially when he's playing against three of the top defenses in the NFL. Twice a year, and Johnny's a small guy. He's like five eleven. I think I think he's like maybe like two, like two twenty. Um, which is, I technically see he's bigger than Bridgewater, technically. But and um, you know, but that scrambling running around in NFL gets you killed. He can do it for a little bit. I mean, he'll, he'll, he'll be able to do it for you know six, seven games. But you know, that punishment that you take is just going on. It's just like RG three. You know, that punishment wears on you, and you have to be a smart runner. Everything's like to run around and kind of be like a Fred Tarkington. They kind of run around and kind of fling it, and, you know, the guy's opening catches, he runs for a touchdown, he catches that guy, you know, and he ends up with a couple of tackles and things of that nature. Ben Roethlisberger. But, but Bill is huge. But Bill Roethlisberger is six, six. You know, he's, he's ginormous. Yeah, I mean, and so is Cam Newton is, is ginormous as well. He's like six, six, like 250. These guys are otherworldly athletes at, at, at their size. But, but look at Ben Roethlisberger, he's not so much of a runner, as is like Teddy, he's more of a safe artist. And he knows how to move within the pocket. He knows how to move up in the pocket, to move around, to, to get enough space to make the throw. And if he has to run, well, he's, well he's, he's kind of more lumbering than anything else. But, you know, he can make a couple of guys miss and run a guy over and kind of fall for he has to. Well, if I'm Teddy Bridgewater and i got to choose between going to the Vikings, going to the Jaguars, going to the Browns, I'm picking the Vikings. Oh, the Vikings. He's, he's in the best spot that he could possibly go to. And those other two teams – have a history of just 
of not being able to perform where they need to perform. I well, mean, the thing is, he has one. He has a, he has a decent wide receiver. Uh, the Vikings went and kind of drafted a couple of, uh, you know, decent receivers. But he has a running game. And that running game will give him an extra half a second on the play-action pass because they have to respect Adrian Peterson. They have to respect Adrian Peterson. So it's like these other teams run back by committee. We were like, yeah, whatever. You know, we'll, we'll keep, we can think of a handball. We'll keep rushing anyway. Well, I mean, so then how long does AP have, you know? I mean, he's, he was not as effective last year as he's been he's coming off the injury. Well, you know, he's come off the injury. He wasn't effective last year, but now you got a decent trigger man. Yeah. And Teddy Bridgewater, a guy who's a stupid game, he knows how to read defenses, who's actually, uh, and, and he did a uh, statistical analysis of all the quarterbacks in the draft. When he's under pressure, he is by far the most accurate passer in the NFL draft. So he's a guy, even if he's rushing, he's still not a right guy. He's not a running quarterback, but he's elusive, which is what you really need. He's elusive. You need a cerebral quarterback in the NFL. Yeah. Uh, let's be honest. I mean, that's. That every quarterback that's been successful has been a cerebral quarterback. Yeah, because I mean, there's so much to take in. There's so much to take in from the pre-snap reads, even when you're dropping back and the covers changes, and you know you have one one thousand, two one thousand, three one thousand, four. The box is gone, and you have to go to you know scan the field, find out who's open, give them the ball in the spot where they can catch it. I mean, it's, it takes a lot. You know, people say he doesn't have the, the rocket type, prototypical arm strength, but he has. How can I put this? He has like. Uh, he has football strength. And I would say what, what that means is that when the game's on and he needs to throw the ball, whether he needs to put the ball, he has some arm strength to get it there. It may not be the right thing to get him. It's like Brett Favre, he's going to throw it, he's going to break your fingers because there's so much blocking on the ball, but you don't know how to put the ball where it needs to be, where you need to catch it. And that's almost the most important is just having just that kind of an arm. All right, and so we just, you just told me that receivers would like to play with a guy like Johnny Manziel because he extends the play and gets him open like that. If you're a receiver... You just ex- described Teddy Bridgewater. Which one of those two guys would you rather play with? A guy that's going to put the ball where he needs to do it, allows you to work, which allows you to do what you need to do, and when you do it, he puts you in a spot to be successful. Or a guy that's going to make you run all over the football field, and you make it, you may not. Um, obviously, I personally I would rather be with uh, with Teddy, right? Because he. But don't you think most receivers would feel that way? You know, a lot, a lot of times it really just depends. I mean, it really just depends on when you're receiving the type of offense that you're trying to run. All right, uh, let's, so let's talk about this then. Teddy is going to be about the team. Yes. He doesn't want to be the star. He doesn't care to be the star. He, he can handle being the star. It's Manziel is about him. Manziel is about him. Now, the, the, without that, with that being said, though, the one thing that impressed me really a, a ton about Manziel was New Year's Eve. Watching the Peach Bowl, they're getting just absolutely destroyed by Duke, and he's on the sideline, you know, getting his guys up, all that stuff like that, which shows tremendous leadership. So it's not not saying here that he, think, I guess he shouldn't say that he's all about him, but he wants to be the focus. He wants to be the star. If you're a receiver, you want to play with Teddy Bridgewater. Well, you know, and, see, and once again, that goes to the, the personality of your team. It, it all goes back to the personality of your team, or what type of coach would imprint their personality on the team. Because some, some coaches, you know, like that swag. So they, they like for the player to be like, you know, yes, it's all about me. I'm, I'm the best player out here. Charlie Strong, Charlie Strong like that. He likes his players to have that swag. He likes his players to think that they are the best, that nobody's better than them in their particular position. But there's that swag, because that swag can be, can be portrayed in two different ways, by being loud and obnoxious and, you know, 
point, me, 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 or that that guy with the quiet confidence that you know walks in and you're going to get the job done. Like, it all depends on, like, it all depends on your team. Like, case in point, Manny Hurricanes. Manny Hurricanes were the 80s, where that me, me, me team, talking, they had all the swagger, you know, hey, it's us against the world, we're the best. But it was us. us. Yeah, it was still us, but, but you had Michael Irvin talking about, I'm the greatest wide receiver here, you know, and you had all, all those guys had that me, me, me complex. But for them, because of the personality of their, of their coaches that allowed that to happen, it worked for Miami. Now, what's not working for Miami is trying to be this, this straight face team. It's not working for Miami anymore. I mean, you need to go back to Doug's ball because that's what worked for I'm, I'm serious. I mean, that's what worked. That, that's their, you know, what's that become called your personality? You know, that's your brand. Your brand. That's kind of just like who you are. You know, that's just who you are. So for some coaches, you know, they, they like to chime in because here's that I'm going to get it. All right, well, that's even more of a reason why the Browns should not have selected Johnny Manziel. It was a short-term game to not worry about long-term success, I think, because the, the Cleveland Browns brand is not the flashy me-me-me. It's the uh, Browns. It's the blue collar. Yeah. Jim Brown is still there as the Cleveland Browns. I mean, even after he had the place like with the 60s. Right. But he still is the brand of the Browns. It's the Jimmy D. And, and and in that regard, Teddy would have been and losing. Losing also the brand of the Browns ever since about Jimmy B. Yeah, the, the curse of Jimmy B. They refused to uh, to page him what he wanted, and uh, he, he said he was, he was going to walk. They didn't believe him. He walked. Well, and then then going with that brand discussion, Browns leave. They go to Baltimore. They rebrand themselves altogether. A defensive team and the defensive hit you in the mouth. I mean, it, Kind of that me, 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 Ray Lewis. They won the Super Bowl with Trent Dilford. Yes. But Trent Dilford, who's a horrible quarterback. I'd take Teddy Bridgewater over Trent Dilford. I would take you over Trent Dilford. <laughs> <laughs> Trent Dilford was horrible. I mean, he was good in college, but man, they never failed. When he was with the Bucks, he was just horrendous. I mean, just horrendous quarterback. But we have Ray Lewis, Ed Reed. I mean, yeah, you got some guys that can. Yes. You had Tony Saracusa at that point, and you had like super. You had a, a superstar defense that you just couldn't score on. I mean, if you get the 14 points, you almost guaranteed to win. You almost guaranteed to win with we, we that Ravens team. The defense was that dominant. You know, but you had those. But now, those are Miami players on the defense side. Does that happen if they stay in Cleveland? I don't think it does. Uh, you know, it's hard to tell. You know, it, 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 it is it is hard to tell. You know, sometimes a change of scenery, able to reset, able to build a, a new team from scratch. Make, makes all the difference. And they were able to build around defense, and they changed the coaching staff how they moved, and you know became a different team. I know a lot of Cleveland fans upset because they lose that their Super Bowl. That should have been their Super Bowl. It was their guys, their players, their everything. Yeah, that, that should have been their Super Bowl. That wasn't. And now you look at Cleveland. Now Cleveland has really struggled. I thought they played. They kind of actually played really well. They fired a coach after only one season, which I, I, I always I thought was wrong. They just never fire a coach just after. After one season, well, how bad he was, and that's what this is. This is, I guess, kind of my point. Taking Manziel, find your coach after one season. They're all signs of desperation, of of trying to, you know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe this ownership group is not as stable. You know, the desperation factor, that whole thing. Well, you know, if I was a Cleveland Browns fan, one thing that that would bother me is that you don't see a plan. Like with other teams, especially with the draft, you, you, can, you can see what they're doing. Okay, we're going to build with defense first. We're going younger, so we're going to get rid of We'll try to leverage, 
you know, the, the experience older players have now to try to get draft picks and trade up or things of that nature. And, you know, and try to, you know, build a team this way with defense first, this is that the third. San Francisco is a prime example. You know, we got a defensive-minded coach. Really great defense. Yeah, with Harbaugh, we'll build a defense up. We're building it this way, and this is how we're going to build the team. Same with Seattle. This is we're going to build our team with defense first. And we'll add these, you know, pieces here. You know, we don't need a top-flight quarterback. He's kind of the game manager. Russell Wilson will work in that, in that regard. And, you know, and that's, and that's what they did with the Cleveland. They really don't have a – it looks like they don't have a defender play. It looks like we got Manziel because he's a hot pick. Right. Those are the ticket sales. Yeah, those are the ticket sales. Kevin's a hot pick. They drafted some receivers, actually pretty good receivers, to put around him. So, yeah. So they get of, those guys late? Yeah, I don't even know what yeah. late. Yeah, they got those guys late. Uh, you know, so you get some guy around. They had one of the number one receivers in the in the country. I mean, in the NFL until before the drug test. He was going to be out for a couple of games. But he was the uh, he was on the top of the receivers they had. So they had the nucleus was kind of was kind of coming together. It's just if Manziel can transition to an NFL quarterback, which means scramble, yes, but only when necessary. And I'll tell you what the, uh, the, the you mentioned the Niners. I think they made one of the best moves of draft day. And it wasn't in the draft. It was going out and getting Stevie Johnson. Yes. Now you've got Stevie Johnson, Michael Crabtree, Anquan Bolden. I mean, Kaepernick's got – Kaepernick last year didn't have any weapons when Crabtree was hurt and all that stuff, and Bolden was there. But now he's going to have weapons everywhere. So Yeah, one of the things he had to do when he got uh, – when he got the receivers, that was a direct answer to how we're going to score against Seattle Deep right in the back end. Yep. That's exactly what it was. We need to score against Seattle's defense. We're never going to get out of NFC, but what we're going to do. Yep. We can't get an NFC championship game. Let's put some points on the board. I guess the Legion of Boom. Let's get us a big, tall, physical receiver. That's what we need. I love the move. All right, got to take a break. We'll be right back. One more segment left in the weekend. Sports Buzz, Sports Buzz brought to you by Brandon J. Lawrence. Sportscast.com. So, if you missed the show, you want to repeat at the podcast right there, or if you want to start your own sports show, become the uh, the next uh, Jim Rome of Louisville. Go to LiveSportscast.com and please sign up. You can also listen to the fourteen fifty Sports Buzz and the Weekend Sports Buzz on fourteen fifty SportsBuzz.com, or download the app to your iPhone or your Android phone from the Play Store or the App Store. And I am uh, here at the Palacious Masonic Homes out here in the. Uh, Beautiful St. Matthews. All, you know what? Concert is, is a cool day, but now it's kind of warmed up a little bit. When I hear watch the volleyball players get warmed up for the Kittle Classic out here to uh, benefit the boys and girls Haven, I'm joined with uh, Jim Shields. Here. Uh, hi there. How you doing, kind sir? I'm doing very well. Doing very well. It's good to see you again, man. It's good to see you again. I thought you kind of disappeared on me, but here you are again. I'm here. I don't go anywhere. That's right. 
talk a little bit about the event here and uh, the charity and all that good stuff. This is the ninth year for the Kiddo Classic. Uh, Billy Noel put this together. Uh, it's one of those uh, great events that a lot of people come out. Obviously, they love playing volleyball. They love getting out. Uh, it's a great opener to the summer season. The weather's not really telling us that, but uh, it, it raises a lot of attention. Uh, it raises, obviously, some money. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, volleyball. Who doesn't love it? There you go, man. And uh, on a great fall day, or excuse me, a spring uh, afternoon here, but uh, it's Masonic Hall here. We've got the the St. Matthews Festival out front I can see here on Frankfurt Avenue. We've got the inflatables there. We've got some uh, Chick-fil-A chips going on there. The Chick-fil-A cow out there. So it looks like it's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of good times. So, uh, you know, let's talk a little bit more about Boys and Girls Day. Now, for those who don't know, tell us you know, what kind of work you guys do and, uh, I can hopefully put you down on the business. Sure. Uh, well, yeah, it'd be great if we were out of business. Uh, but uh, back in 1948, Father Maloney had a vision for uh, young men that were, at the time, uh, they were being cared for at Ormsby Village. Uh, and there were kids that were, had gotten in some trouble. There was another group of kids that had not necessarily gotten in trouble, but through abuse, abandonment, and neglect, they found themselves there as well. Uh, Father Maloney saw those two different populations when he was counseling with them, and uh, he wanted to create a place where for those young uh, boys at the time and now girls who, uh, through no fault of their own, were in the uh, care of the state, uh, he could provide the support and the networks that they needed to um, help them become contributing members of the community by teaching them uh, work skills, life skills, and really just providing a home that they didn't have uh, with their own family. Today, that mission has not changed. Uh, we serve, obviously, a heck of a lot more kids, father money. Back in 1950, after the first building was built, uh, himself, a cook, and nine kids moved in. Today we serve, at any given point in time, between 300 and 350 wow. uh, in any given day. Uh, and then we serve well over 700 a year um, throughout the state of Kentucky. So. Okay. Now, you know, I was in high school. Uh, a couple of my friends actually went to Boys Haven. At that time, it was just, it was just Boys Haven. So I know of the tremendous work that you do there because we're, we're still good friends to this day. And, we, you know, we talked about this before about his his experience at Boys Haven, how positive it was, uh, you know, to be there, especially to, to provide that foundation. But for him, it was more like providing that, that, that stable household that he had never known, right, you know, throughout his, his early years of life. So he never had that stable household, uh, you know, with and else with his, with his family and whatnot. And to become a Boys Haven, it was, it was stable, it was structured, and he gave him a sense of family. And a lot of those guys that he stayed with, uh, you know, are like brothers to a man. Yeah, and you know that that same spirit is there today. Uh, we have a lot of alumni that actually come back. Uh, Father Maloney's uh, the spirit of a home in the future, the tagline of a home in the future. It's never changed. The first thing to do is to provide a home, uh, as your friends uh, totally talked to you about. It was that for the first time in their lives, and unfortunately for these kids that are uh, between the ages of 11 and 17, it's the first time in their life they've had any kind of real stability. They've been moved around over and over and over. So to provide that stable uh, go-to home um, where they can then succeed in their life and have a future that's not, you know, uh, tagged with uh, incarceration or dependence, uh, whether on alcohol, drugs, or, uh, you know, un unfortunately the, the uh, welfare system and, and those sort of things. So if we can send those kids uh, in a different trajectory and put them on a different trajectory, that's the win for us. So uh, we, we have a lot of alumni to come back, and we love to have them see them, see them success. Every new family that started from a kid that uh, otherwise was uh, headed in the, you know, as a 
another uh, unfortunate statistic. Every kid that was headed that way that comes back after being a boys and girls saving with a family and a life of their own that is uh, not tagged with that is really a success. So and that's good. That's good. Like I said, I I, I know firsthand a lot of positive work that you guys did. And, you know, I've seen it in a lot of my, like I said before, my friends and things of that nature that have stayed at Boys and Girls for, you know, four years all through high school. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, even when he went to UofL, because I exposed him went to UofL, now that, you know, they come back and they volunteer and things of that nature. So, you know, it's just a great program. So how can our listeners, you know, if they want to get involved and kind of help you guys out, besides supporting us, like there was some volleyball tournament here at the Masonic, uh, Masonic Coma. What, what else can uh, can a citizen and our listeners do? Absolutely. So we'll, there's, there's, there are a lot of things to do. One, just coming out to help out with an event or just participate in the event. We try to have engaging events. Uh, we'll talk uh, the Legends uh, event. It's a cocktail party that will be coming up. Uh, we are settling on a venue right now, but that will be in November. So look for the Legends event. That's an opportunity to roll elbows with the uh, – what would be the local and regional legends? Uh, we have had this for several years. I think we're going into our 16th or 17th year, uh, and it's uh, you know uh, Scotty Davenport, all of, all of the legends from UK, U of L, Bella Minutes of Night to Rub Elbows, and hear their stories. Um, so uh, that's a great way to support us. We also have uh, our golf scramble will be coming up in September, um, uh, towards the beginning of September. Uh, and in the end of September, we have a Bikers for Boys Haven event. Uh, we're still putting the details together on that, but that'll be at the end of September. And uh, just to clarify, we say bikers. You're not talking about guys like me on a swing, are you? No, we're talking about motorcycles, all brands. So uh, it's a real fun event. Uh, I'm a rider, so it's one that I uh, spend a lot of time on personally. But uh, no matter what you ride, whether you're on a, a Harley or a race bike or whatever you're on, um, the one thing that we all agree on is that there are kids out there in need, and it's a great way to come out and have some fun, and uh, they'll support the event. We also have metro programs, foster care. We need foster parents, uh, and they don't have to be you know, perfect parents. None of us are, but just willing to, you know, uh, be there for a kid, uh, whether it's as a mentor or, you know, making a full commitment to foster kids. Uh, they can just get a hold of us. Look, at, look for us online, boyshaven.org. Uh, they can call 458-1171. Just talk to anybody there and get get the details. So, I do want to talk to you, you mentioned the great work that goes on here. Goes on there. There are so many dedicated people at that place. There are a lot of uh, great facilities in the town. Uh, I started there uh, roughly uh, 20 months ago. Prior to that, about a year before that, I was a volunteer with them. And one of the reasons that I really wanted to get on board with uh, Boys and Girls Haven as a volunteer and now as an employee was that the staff that are there, they are truly committed to the care of the kid. Um, and, uh, you know, the statistics are just staggering when you look at the number of kids that get turned over uh, at Boys and Girls Haven. There's a commitment not to run them through the program and then send them somewhere else. But if we've run them through all of our programs, um, the staff literally sit down with that kid's file and say, okay, how do we help them? What else can we do that we don't have here in our in our handbook, per se, um, to help reach through this kid and let them know that they're cared for? So the real heroes of that place are the frontline folks that are working with the kids every day. Good deal, good deal. And just one more time, I want to give people a number on the website so they want to, they really want to get in touch and get in tune and volunteer, donate time, treasure, whatever it is. 458 one one seven one, and it's boyshaven.org. Look for us. We have our events on there. We have details on uh, you know 
on the website of where you want to go, what you want to do, come on in. There's something for everybody. There you go. Now, a bunch of bike roads. I, I know you're an avid rider. We talked about this before. Yeah. I know you're an avid rider. Now, I may not have my bike by then. I may have a moped. Would that count? Um, I, I think I think you could do it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we we bring in. I don't know if you'll make it up the uh, make make it up the hills, but uh, if your machine will do it, we'll bring you to the fold. There we go. There you go. So my, my, my moped will work. Your moped will work. It's two wheels. Ah, that's what I'm talking about. Me and Mike and Dolph are going to uh, go and take it on over. So, hey, Jim, man, Mike, uh, thanks for stopping by, and uh, ho- hopefully we'll, we'll talk again. Yes, sir. Thanks for having us. All right. Great work that they do here uh, for the boys and girls of, uh, of our area. So I uh, very much appreciate it. Come on and support this great event. It's a great fundraiser for these uh, for these guys. So better uh, warm up a little bit. Still a little on the side, but, you know, it's going to be a beautiful day. You know, it will get warm, and, you know, today, man, in honor of our friendship, I'm going to go out and I'm going to give me an Under Armour uh, jogging suit. Because <laughs> <laughs> you see how much warmer I am than you are? Yes, yes. I'll have more insulation than you do, by the way. Just look at You know, what I thought about doing this, because I, I have to have my, what I call the low-pro flow here uh, going on there. I was going to go give me an old-school throwback to Adidas jogging suit. There you go. And they go all run DMC. No laces? No laces. Nice. With, with, with the shell toe. <laughs> I like it. Because that's like a full biking style now. Oh, yeah, it is. That's what I was talking about last week. Like, you watch these guys after they got drafted. They have, like, the Dean Harrison design shirt on there with the top button button. And I'm just with a high top fade. Yeah. And it's like, man, you know, we were back in the freaking 80s with the hip-hop culture. I know, 80s, like early 90s almost. I and mean, it was crazy. Something yeah. top we bring back some parachute pants. Yeah, yeah start watching a different world again. You know, all that kind of stuff. Very <laughs> uh, <some> hammer pants. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I want to mention a couple things before. We only got a couple minutes left to go on the show. Guys, I, we haven't even talked about this thing, Reds, yet. So, you know, i got to talk to you about a little Reds update. And Johnny Cueto, pitcher of the Reds, is on the verge of history. Actually, he's, he's already made history. Nine straight starts of seven innings or more with less, with giving up less than two runs. First time it's been done since 1909. Wow. So that's getting it done. So he's pitching at a high level. The Reds are getting healthy. Tony Singrani is going to be coming back to pitch the, the final game against Philadelphia tomorrow. Hopefully, late looks like he's coming back to, uh, in, uh, in, in early June. we got Devin Masarocco back, who was just hitting the ball as well as any catcher in Major League Baseball before he got hurt. So they're getting healthy. Then they, they had a little the bit, a little setback, huh? Can they make the run? I mean, they can. But Joey Votto tweaked his knee, and but the MRI was negative, which is good news for the Reds. So hopefully, he won't be out as long. If they get once they get Jay Bruce back, they, their injury bug man is just killing this year. I mean, they have, uh, and and they're still they're hanging around top hundred. So you know, if they get healthy toward the end of the year, it's going to be. I'll equate it to the, the my 49ers last year, who were just kind of battling injuries, got healthy, went on a run, and then uh, you know did okay. I think they could have a similar type deal, and at least in a wild card hunt. So definitely think so. And then also today starts uh, the final four, the Eastern Conference and Western Conference championships for the NHL playoffs. Uh, the Western Conference is actually tomorrow. Eastern Conference, so the my New York Rangers, baby. Taking on the Montreal Canadiens, uh, thought we were going to have to play the Bruins, and uh, Montreal knocked off the Bruins. Yeah, I feel Bruins pretty good about where the range starting at because I think they got the hot goaltender. Bruins choked. They choked it up. They just did not choke Game 7 at all. No, they did. And uh, I don't know if you watched the playoff hockey at all. No. No? See, man, playoff hockey is 
Oh, no, I, I did watch the highlights on ESPN. <laughs> that counts. Yeah, the, the funny thing that I think about the, you know we talked a little about this a little bit with uh, the culture of your team and all that stuff and the brand the Rangers traded away their captain right before the playoffs started in, in, in late March in early March they traded away their captain Callahan who was in this contract dispute the Rangers weren't going to pay him what he wanted he was kind of being uh, and the Rangers weren't playing very well he was kind of being I guess kind of a cancer to the team. They got rid of him. They got a, a, a veteran, Martin, Marty St. Louis, who is like known to be this rah-rah guy. He's made all the difference in the culture and the team. They're, they're playing their best hockey of the year right now at the best time. So can they do it? I think they can. I, well, I think they can, I think they can beat Montreal. The, the other, the other, uh, the other side can be a little bit tougher when they go up against the what? The, the Kings and the, uh, man, I'm totally blanking right now. Who the Kings are playing, but the Kings just knocked off the Ducks in Game Seven. So, want to kind of see what happens. But great show. We're going to be off next week, but two weeks we're going to be live from uh, Cherry Run Golf Course in Southern Indiana. Oh yeah, man, that's what I'm talking about. Mike and Doppel, Haven, Harrington, we are out of here. See you all in two weeks.